Hi, welcome to Let's Go Kick Ass today. I'm your host, Vicky Carter. This is a monthly podcast where I chat to inspirational people from the fields of music, adventure and culture. People who basically are really kicking ass and making their own rules in life. So if you want to feel empowered and inspired, you've come to the right place. In this episode, I chat to musician, singer and songwriter Tally Karen about finding her purpose through music and bringing people together through peace and poetry. It's for me, it's like, uh, it's a purpose to do that. You know, when you find what is your real purpose in life, it just make everything so much more as a joy, although there are obstacles. I also speak to Justine Laymond, a sufferer of Lyme disease, who has gained a new perspective in her life after receiving a lung transplant 13 years ago. I needed help and I was 31 with a simmer frame. I mean, this is something that you would never would think would happen to you. Finally, I speak to Victor Oshin, a talented actor on stage and screen, who highlights the challenges of becoming an actor and the lack of diversity in the arts. That's another thing that, you know, really got to keep in your mind doing this. Why did you start? Kind of what I've always got in my head. I know why I'm doing it. So there's nothing that's ever going to stop me from doing it. First up is my interview with singer-songwriter and musician Tally Karen. She tells me how she brought different nationalities together in a church through a scheme of peace in the Middle East and how losing her husband through cancer manages to turn such a negative experience to a positive one, to positively impact other people's lives through her inspiring projects with peace and poetry and so much more. She tells me how she gained the title of Ambassador of Peace. I feel very proud. Uh, I gained it by doing the first event that was relating to peace and reconciliation. Was uh, The title was Music for Peace in the Middle East. So I had Israelis, Palestinians and Iranians on one stage in a church, which is the ultimate to have. It's wow. like the vision uh, of all those people together and on one stage. It wasn't easy, it was a challenge, um, but I made it. And then after I got to the House of Commons, um, the ambassador for peace uh, for for this event, but for many other things that I'm doing. That's the thing, you're uniting people together. I mean, do you think you'd be able to do that in another country, bringing music from, from different nationalities who might have had rifts in the past to come together? I think it's becoming now part of my driven message uh, we all speak the same language through music which i bought you a little, a little wristband. wristband oh i love that you're wearing one as well yeah, thank you that's why i got it today oh I got gorgeous it today i've got a t-shirt so so of course you can do it in every country because every country as we see has division and um, in my country where i am from israel there is definitely division all the way through and because my background is kind of grandparents from from Poland and grandparents from Syria I always lived in in a life of uh, different mentalities so bridging between them uh, became something natural for me so all what I'm doing now it's just very natural and it's it's for me, it's like uh, it's a purpose to do that. You know, when you find what is your real purpose in life, it just make everything so much more as a joy, although there are obstacles. 
That's incredible. Yeah, you found your path in the universe and, and you're doing that through music. That's a really important tool and it's one that's accessible for everyone and everyone can create themselves as well. And you're using your own personal experiences and, and upbringing to do so. Um, so you've spoken about obviously your your different different cultures. What was it like growing up and going on a journey, discovering your own national identity? It was, you know, when you leave your own country, that's when you really discover who you are, what are the things that um, you will never be able to have in a different country. So there is something about leaving your own place that changed your life forever because I can never be back an Israeli because I'm British. But but there are things here that I would have liked them to be like I'm used to. So so again, I think if your attitude in life is positive in general, so whatever situation you're facing, you can look at it in a positive way. So, so even here, being here, which I'm split Israeli, split British, it's just something fantastic because I have the two choices and I can be whoever I want, whenever I want. So, you know, so... It's just how we look at life and my outlook at life is very positive and my main philosophy is turn the minus into plus. This is how I operate. This is how I manage five years. I don't know if you heard about, but my late husband was five years ill. Gosh, and, I'm so sorry. Yeah, to yeah, and he died and it was so hard because it was as a secret. He wanted to continue to work until his last moment. Wow. So I created all this competition and uh, for the children and the Vision of Hope tour is because I had the time to be in hospital while he was having his treatments. So it was incredible hard five years, but I've managed even in those hard years to turn it to something so positive for me and for the world and for him. That's incredible. (laughs) Yes, of course, he must be so proud. And I think both of you are so admirable there, you know, continuing to carry on and and be strong for each other and and using that experience to positively impact other people around the world. I I think that's wonderful. And I'm sure he's super proud of you. In heaven now. Of course. Uh, but his last Christmas card was like, tally with your passion, talent, and driven force, you can really inspire nations and nations with uh, with what you're doing with the music. So I'm very happy that he was managing to see me at the House of Lords, uh, doing event there, the Archbishop of York and very important people all respecting what I'm doing. So it was good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're reaching out and touching people, like I said. Now let's focus on the annual poetry competition that you've created. I mean, what inspired you to, to do that? I mean, not only are you empowering people through music, but now through poetry as well. So that happens when, um, after the first concert that I mentioned, the Music for Peace in the Middle East, I had a concert that was on a boat. It was all, I was invited to sing there. And a father came to me after and said, do you have any songs about peace? So I said, I actually don't have any songs about peace. I'm more into self-development, better life, inspiration, love, of course. But I didn't have actually about peace so we said uh, can I send you a poem of my daughter and he sent me that 
poem called Magical Powers. And I was like, oh my God, a girl can write like this? And then immediately I went and got the National School Poetry Competition uh, website, domain name and world domain name. I understood that the, those children, they are our future. They've got treasure because they're still pure, they're still innocent. The moment they get even at the age of 17, because I had some poems at the age of later ages in the first year, immediately you had knives and bloods and negativity because you are influenced by the media, by life. But when you are young, you still don't have all those influences. So it's that innocent. And what I do with the children, not everyone likes poetry, you know, poetry is not cool. But I, I mean, I just want to interject there. Yeah, yeah poetry, yeah. some people some people say that it's not cool, but I mean, spoken word, mm. I mean, hip hop, you could say is is poetry. That's right. Exactly. So I feel it's an art form that is everywhere, that it's included. And some people might not recognize that it is, whether that's the, the young, young people, the teenagers or even adults. It's affecting us every day. I mean, Shakespeare is iconic and he's set the foundation of the English language. And a lot of him was was poetry. But I think some children just, when, when you're not creative, so you have a block, so you, you, you will not understand that actually just writing one line of what you feel can, uh, can, can turn into music and turn into poems. So I'll give you just a tiny example. I was in a school and the teacher was bullying the child to show off that how great she is, but the child was really not... Uh, not feelings to speak out and I'm quite gentle in some ways in, in the class with the children <laughs> and so so the teacher was saying to me go go and ask her so so I came to the child and she was sitting with her hands uh, like this and she said uh, so she didn't want to speak so I said to her how do you feel right now she said I don't feel anything and I feel frozen, but I feel frozen. I said, that's brilliant. These are two lines for your poem. Because she just actually expressed how she feels. And that's what I want. I want pure feeling about peace. And what I do with the children, I said, let's explore inner peace. Because it's all start from inner peace. What is inner peace? Inner peace, if there is no inner peace, it can lead to uh, n not to have peace in the classroom bullying, discrimination, that could lead after to much bigger things. Yeah, exactly, the outside world. So is that what you do? You go into schools and you do workshops with I them? I do and, workshops, oh, yes, when I have the time. And it just, some children just said to, wrote to me a thank you letter and said that, wrote that I've changed the life and they wow. actually saw that they are not in inner peace. And it was, this is the rewarding thing, you know, when you know that you touch a child's life and change it and inspire. So it's worth all the effort. Of course, it's incredible. And you're changing their perception and getting them in touch with their own emotions. And yeah. maybe in future, they might not be able to connect with their emotions and voice them, but they could use poetry as a catharsis to do so. So is this part of your Hope of Vision tour? Yes. yes. So and this is exactly, you touch exactly. It's, it's the emotions that I want uh, from people to express because... You, you you read about a lot of disasters that happen in the world, like terror or terror attacks, and uh, you can he read that the people that done those evil things were actually quiet people, nice neighbors. 
But you can imagine what kind of uh, volcano they had inside them, and they didn't just express it. They didn't divert it in the right way. So do you feel that more musicians should follow suit and create music with a message that could positively empower other people? Definitely, and I would like to collaborate with... Uh, with different singers, they, uh, if they can hear that uh, interview. So I would love to collaborate. And especially, you know, if you have one big name, it will change everything. I think G Gary Barlow wrote a song. He's also in that direction. And, you know, I will be in touch with him. And it's, it's just to get together all... We need to unite all the people that want to do positive things. We need to unite. Yeah, and, and bridge cultures, bridge, bridge gaps, and exactly. come together in peace. So is that what inspired Dark Hand, Light Hand as well? Yes, yeah, so Dark Hand, Light Hand was written by Jessica Clay. She was 13 years old. She's now 15. I met her a few days ago oh, in wonderful. a concert with her mother, and she read the original poem. And her English teacher told her not to submit the poem. <gasps> wow. Can you imagine? And... and um, I think she managed to capture with the, the imagination, uh, like a line, peace could be where a dark hand touches light hand. So I asked her, how did you get all these images? So, you know, in a very childish and uh, innocent way, she just answered, I just don't understand why people cannot get on one with each other. So I just were looking for all kind of extremes and put them together. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's a it's a wonderful uh, yeah message that she's bringing in that song. It is fantastic. I've heard it myself, and like you said before, it's it's when you're younger and you've got that innocence. You're still in your mind, but also you're so perceptive to to the media and to the music you listen to, and it shapes you who you are as an individual. Um, so you recently performed that song, didn't you, in, in a stadium with a huge yes. gospel choir? How was that? That was so amazing. And now that you know the story about my husband, uh, my connection to the MK Dons was because he was helping them at the time as a sports psychologist. Wow. And the girls, the girl, Jessica Clay, she's from Milton Keynes. So the one plus one, I said, that would be the perfect place to celebrate International Peace Day. So I was so, um, yes, I was emotional, but uh, I think I said uh, the right thing when I started to, before starting to sing, I said, on this pitch, my late husband stood and not everyone is fortunate to live a long life. So why should we waste our time with negativity conflicts that lead to world war? Let's listen to the word of 13 years old. She has a line and she said, peace could be where a stranger and a stranger all come together. And then I started to sing. Oh, <laughs> it fantastic. was fantastic. Yeah, that's such a touching moment as well. I feel oh. like so many senses and emotions and past and present and future, you all came together right then and there. Yes, yes. That's wonderful. And so you performed there and you performed in venues like Tate Modern at Albert Hall. I mean, out of all of those, what's the difference between being with a gospel choir and the different setups and audiences? Yeah, I think the Royal Albert Hall was uh, the biggest performance uh, because uh, we had a few hundred uh, people singing behind me and a, a full orchestra and the stage. 
and my husband yeah, it was his last thing oh so, wow that's wonderful yeah so it just was so fantastic so fantastic so the royal albert hall is uh, so far my favorite venue in the world yeah wow this is what i love about your music is that there's just so many different avenues that you know you're pursuing and the music is fantastic but also you know you're you're interacting with young people and, and shaping their perceptions as individuals and empowering people and bridging the gap with your different cultures as well i mean if you had to give any advice to someone who's either struggling with their own creativity and outlet of emotions or understanding their own cultural identity what would you say to them i would say to them it's a, and actually say it from my own experience just follow and be who you are all the way through people will try to change us and especially as an artist we need to be loyal to who we are that's number one and don't let anything holds you back and never give up because you know i'm <laughs> over 55 and, I wouldn't be and i'm tell. living the dream and i still have a lot to achieve to my opinion but I, i'm a person that feel fulfilled and happy although i had few very hard situation but i still you know uh very happy and choose to shine in this world i would say happiness is also it's it's a choice and that's what i said even in the hardest situation and they come to us we cannot uh, prevent that we have bad days we have bad situation bad people that come this hard time i'm always saying right how can i turn it to something positive so even logically saying to yourself i don't want to be here anymore like even the last week, you know, I had all these concerts and then I had a big uh, event in Manchester. My PA uh, could not come with me. So I ended up traveling by myself and I didn't like it with heavy suitcase. So I said to myself, I would never do it again. Although it was like all wow and no, I'm not going to do it again. So so every every obstacle come, I think to show us how to be kinder to ourselves, how to be more honest with ourselves. And this is one of the purpose that I think to make our life better. And when we are better, we can love more. It's, it's a sincere love. It's not just, you know, love that comes from neediness. <laughs> no, 100% I agree. When we fully find out where we're going in life and what we're doing in life and we believe in ourselves and love ourselves then fully we can love someone else um so what's next after your hope revision tour what can we expect in 2020 so the album um, which is uh, all based of, on poetry that i turn into songs because i learned that playing with words is something that i'm very strong like you know it's all started with that line that I got from um, a guy a few years ago and it had the only thing that holds you back is you wow. and I turned it to Beauty of the Duty which was already in all the radios uh, BBC mm. and around the world as a as a playlist but I'm re-releasing it again oh, so so just one line the only thing that holds you back is you 
The only thing that holds you back is you. Just one line. So this is what I found that is my real special gift is taking lines, change them, arrange them and create songs. So all my album, which is based on poetry that I edit and compose, will be released in 2020, March, 20 of March, which is an international poetry day. Oh, so that great. is a big thing uh, with amazing song called If I Could Write a Love Poem, not written by me, by someone, that uh, beautiful poem. I'm planning to do a TED Talk next year. Oh, great. Yeah. I, I see. This is the thing. I'm sitting in. I'm memorized by you to break out into such beautiful <laughs> song with those like <laughs> touching lyrics that I'm not going to lie. I'm the sort of person that saves on Instagram. And it's like, yes, I'll screenshot for myself and I wake up to it every day. And here I am just sitting like, yes, you definitely need to do a TED Talk. This oh, is amazing. Thank you. Thank you. So that's something that I would like to share about all the four or five years that uh, were hard, but how I've managed to turn them into something positive and also I learned on the way a little bit about uh, cancer, the NHS and all things as, as an observer that might highlight for few people. So, so that's something I'm planning to do in 2020 and release my album in Hebrew because with all the love to what I'm doing here, I think it's all coming uh, in Hebrew when I write, I think I'm a poet. Uh, which in English I would never have the same vocabulary to, to be able, uh, I cannot express with the same imagery. Although I write a lot of lyrics and I think they're good, but Hebrew is more profound. All this year uh, I wrote an album in Hebrew which is almost done uh, in terms of production. So I think I will release it in Israel and would like to be a little bit between Israel and England uh, next year, that's the plan. Wonderful. Did, do you find it more challenging to, to create and write in Hebrew or English? What comes more naturally to you? The Hebrew, the words in Hebrew were more, uh, more easy, but then because it's my language, um, uh, to finish a song can take me four months because I polish it and polish it and polish it. Compared to English, that like the song that I told you, My River, I write it in one take, just walking by the river. And um, so, so yeah, I love them both. And as I said, the moment you leave your own country, you are a split person and you cannot do anything about it. And I know a lot of foreigners that will hear this uh, interview will agree but all what we can do is enjoy the fact that we are much more, have a broader uh, way of life, of seeing life and uh, experiences. Isn't Tali Karen so warm and wonderful? And despite all these personal hardships and challenges she's faced, she's overcome them and continues to empower and inspire people through her wonderful projects, through music and peace and poetry. I really hope her Hope of Vision UK tour goes well. Next up is Justine Laymond, a Lyme disease sufferer and a receiver of a lung transplant. She shares what Lyme disease is and how debilitating it is to push someone to need a lung transplant. She also tells me about juggling three jobs, being driven by work and the desire to succeed, to planning her own funeral in a hospital bed. That drastic change in her life has given her new life perspective. She also tells me how she competed in the British Transplant Games for Team GB, how she's conquered mountains, sailed across the Atlantic and has a new persona in burlesque drag. First, 
let's find out what Lyme disease is. Well, the full name is lymphangiomyomatosis. Wow. And over the years, I've been able to say it, not from the start. And it's a very rare condition and it affects um, women only. When I was diagnosed, well, it seems about 2005, I was the 61st person in the UK to have this condition wow. affecting one in a million. It's become more common now, um, where it's maybe one in a hundred thousand. So my mum said I was very unique and very special, but I'm not so much now. But in a way, it's good that it's been recognised, um, that people are more aware of this condition. It causes cysts to grow inside the lungs. It takes up space inside the lungs, so it makes it difficult to breathe. Because also it's a circulatory condition, um, it affects other parts of the body. Um, the kidneys, the brain, and over the years I've had my brain ch um, checked for tumours as well. So it's it's a very debilitating um, condition and uh, I did deteriorate very quick once it was diagnosed. Oh, I'm so sorry. It's strange that it's gone from one million to, to that, that rate now. I mean, why is that so drastically changed? I mean, this is, I've had my transplant now for 13 years, so over the period of time maybe it has always been there but because it was so rare and symptoms not really recognized or misdiagnosed emphysema or other things maybe doctors and and hospitals became more um wised up with it so more people were diagnosed with the right condition uh, i mean it is upsetting it is a horrible disease and i did suffer very badly and i had it for about 10 years actually before i was diagnosed wow. So when they said I had lamb, I was already at the end stage with maybe a few months to live. Gosh, I'm so sorry. How did that make you feel, having that news and also having that condition for 10 years? I always knew something was wrong. And when doctors say there is nothing wrong, you kind of put your faith in the system. And I did have a collapsed lung initially when I was in my early 20s. And at the time I was told it's because I'm tall, I'm slim, I'm athletic and collapsed lungs happen to men, not very often in women. But like I said, it was so rare. So there was no knowledge about Lyme disease really back, back then. And um, I suffered with pain, which I now know over the years was the cysts growing inside my lungs and popping and the, the tissue becoming dead on the inside. And then when my um, lung collapsed again, uh, fast forward 10 years instead of it being the right lung which was three times back 10 years ago it was the left lung which collapsed 13 times 10 years later my other lung had gone down and I was diagnosed with this condition as much as I was horrified I was actually in a way relieved because I finally had like the final piece of the jigsaw that there was something wrong and I wasn't going mad and then like I said all the reasons over the years the pain I experienced everything made sense but unfortunately, when they said I had this condition, when I looked it up, the first thing you read is, you know, you die. Um, there is no hope. And because I'm a very positive person and colourful, which your viewers can't see. But yeah, I've no, got bright pink, bright hair, pink hair, bright pink eyebrows, yeah. <laughs> lovely blue flower in your hair, matching your, your eyeshadow as well. All colour coordinated. Yeah, so I'm a very colourful person, very positive person. And I've always been that way. And I, I knew then, back in the day, that I wanted to raise awareness of this condition to give hope so basically my story over the years has evolved and almost became like a role model for other women with this condition because it is only women that have this disease that's incredible you're empowering and inspiring other people how did you feel when you received that transplant and how have you 
well, has it shifted your perspective in life at, at all? I mean, of, of course. Um, I was just a normal girl, living life, having fun. I actually had three jobs. I worked full-time in the health sector. I was a dance teacher. I was a kid's entertainer. Wow, that's impressive uh, enough. Yeah. <laughs> but it was all about work, 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 getting to the top. And then basically I went from everything to a click of a finger to nothing. I ended up living in a hospital for six months, you know, but even planning my funeral. And then when you get given a gift of life, which it really is a precious, precious gift. My life and perspective change. I take nothing for granted as, as this interview will go on, your viewers will hear the incredible things I've done that without this transplant, I would have never even been the sort of person to do it. I'm living my life. I've, I've lived also part of my life now and I've still got more and trying to achieve my dreams because I know life is short. I know it's a gift. Obviously, I hope I go on to be a blue rinse granny and make the age of 99. <laughs> but, still incredible yeah. hair. <laughs> yeah. But regardless, I want to do things that this gift has made me do, made it possible for me to do. Wow, that's incredible. I read up that you actually had to teach yourself to walk again. And I'm sure there must have been many times where there were obstacles and challenges that you had to overcome. How did you push through those? You're absolutely right. I sit here now with a big smile on my face as if everything was a walk in the park. It wasn't. When they diagnosed me with the end-stage Lamb disease, they said I had a few months to live, but I actually held out for nearly 16 months waiting for my transplant. Um, three false alarms on the fourth one, it, it went ahead. Prior to that, as I said, I deteriorated so much. Um, I was induced into a coma um, for about three weeks and when I came out of the coma yes my body had wasted away I was on a life support machine for two months so I couldn't eat walk talk communicate and I I needed help and I was 31 with a simmer frame I mean this is something that you would never would think would happen to you I could barely walk two steps but I was so determined that they said to me I got suspended from the transplant list because I was so poorly and I know that I needed to to get myself back on it, which I did. And and then I thought, right, every day I'm going to do my physio. I mean, there were good days and there were bad days. And there were very dark days. And it was perseverance to get where I needed to be, to get back on the list, to get my transplant. I was that girl, like I said, living life, partying, working three jobs. I was at the element. You know, I was at the pinnacle of my life and it was just shattered instantly. You know, but that's that's then, but I, I, I made it. You know, I, I got through the surgery, I got through the physio, the recovery, and even the doctor said it was a miracle that within three weeks I was out. But I'd lived there for six months, said it's unheard of. That's incredible and it's a miracle, like you said, and it's a, a gift of life now, going around and empowering and inspiring other people, this, you know, healthier and more fulfilled in life version of you and so you've reached out and you've been involved with British Transplant is that correct? Yes I over the years have done so much I did many years in the transplant games competing um, for Britain Europe and then the world games That's fantastic. Part, part of team GB I also took part in a sailing venture sailing around the world which I know you might want to elaborate on in a little bit more yeah. I've also climbed mountains in Ecuador and in the last few years, I've taken up a persona doing burlesque and drag with a, a, a character, L'Amour Le Monde, which means love of the world, to also raise awareness and, again, empower people. And every element that I've done, 
no matter what, is always got a root of organ donation in each chapter or phase that I've done in my life. So people will know about me. And at the same time, I will still continue to raise awareness of land disease and organ donation in whatever element I do. That's amazing. That's fantastic. So let's well, talk, a more, talk more about first the transplant games. Like That must have been incredible as well to meet people who've been through similar situations with you, but also break through to the other side and push and challenge yourself. Exactly. I mean, I didn't even know this existed. Again, this is something that happens to somebody else. It's something you read about somebody else in a magazine, a newspaper, not yourself. And then the first games I went to, I sat there and watched and I burst out crying. And then I was overwhelmed. All these people came up to me and said, we've been there. And it was amazing to meet like-minded people. And also I found a competitive side of me, which I didn't know I had. I knew I was a, a person who enjoyed sports and keeping fit. When I joined the Transplant Games, it was purely for fun to meet people. And I did it for many, many years and, and I absolutely loved it. And then I started to win medals and I was like, oh, maybe I can keep training. So I competed and I won medals and things like badminton, squash, athletics, um, sort of sprinting, long jump. And, you know, I had no idea, again, going back before this all happened, that this was a, a journey that I would go down. And going to the World Games was just incredible, literally meeting people across the world. And I remember I met a guy from Bhutan who was the only person who had a kidney transplant in that very small country. Wow. And he was representing his country. Um, and like you have the Olympics, the Paralympics, the Transplant Games is getting more recognised now. And uh, I loved it when I did it. I absolutely you know, thrived on it. Fantastic. And sailing as well. You went through USA, Nova Scotia. What was that trip like? Well, that was something else. Um, there was a group of us, we were going to do each leg of the clip around the world yacht races in 2011, 2012. And I was doing leg eight, so it was like the American, Canada, and then it was Ireland, Scotland, um, and uh, Netherlands. And you think it's going to be easy. And when we set off from New York to um, Nova Scotia, it was five days, the sun was shining, the sea was calm. I was like, yeah i'm cut out of this (laughs) and then the next leg was crossing the atlantic ocean which was about 16 days at sea and it was horrific we were going through storms 30 foot like waves i mean thrown about and i was seasick the whole duration and it got to the point where i actually said to the skipper i said i can't bear it i need to be airlifted i need to get off but there's no way they could get get you out from the atlantic ocean and nowhere nowhere and then it when we were like closer to land they said right we'll get you airlifted and then that stubborn justine stepped in as i no we're only a few days away i'm gonna hang in there i'm gonna make it yeah good for you yeah even though i was really really ill and um you know, I actually made a history as the first woman with a double lung transplant to sail the Atlantic Ocean. And you said, you you know, you've climbed mountains and you've travelled the world. What's next on your list? What's your next challenge, would you say? Well, I think all the crazy challenges have stopped. Um, doing the games, the sailing, Ecuador, where they did the mountains. I'm focusing now on the burlesque drag chapter in my life, which I absolutely love. And also I'm writing a book, which has been... Oh, fantastic. Which I've been writing for like ever to base it's my life story so if there's anybody listening who can help ghostwrite or produce or you know get me get published that's the word i'm looking for get it finished i'd love to get my life story out there and somebody did say to me it'd be really sad for you to go and not have your story 
in writing and I, I think it would not I'm saying because it's me but I think it would be a good novel to read um, and I'd like it to inspire and help other people and because of this journey I, th- I think I've done that and you know when I do go um, I want people to say first of all wow she's really lived her life and secondly because she's done so much awareness campaign on land disease and organ donation she's helped other people because I know from people who've met me they've signed up to the organ donor register no it's very true I mean what would you say to someone who's thinking about becoming a donor and, and isn't sure the thing is it takes a few seconds to sign up whether you do it online or whatever you can change your mind um, I think though when you do it I, I think it's a beautiful gift it's saved my life and it will go on and help other people and save lives and I also believe when your body's at rest you don't need your organs to go elsewhere they can go on to help other people and one person can save many many lives as you heard in that interview how important organ donation is in transforming other people's lives look at justine now she's writing books about herself she's empowering and inspiring other people she's going around the world and doing all these incredible things if you can really do opt in for organ donation Next up is talented actor on stage and screen, Victor Oshin. He highlights the challenges of becoming an actor and he's really honest about his journey. He shares that he's even cooked dog food to raise funds to help build his dream of becoming an actor. How you've got to keep asking yourself, why are you doing this? Highlight the passion and enthusiasm for your chosen career and for your art. And finally, I ask him just how diverse the arts actually is and how can we make it more diverse? So it's been about, I think, 10 years since we've actually met at National Youth Theatre. And now you're smashing your dream. (laughs) What's the journey been like? Well, it's definitely not been easy. Um, It's been ups and downs um, from going to drama school, dropping out, or be kicked out, depending on who, who wants to tell the story. Um, and then, you know, trying to do it by myself, it, it not working and realising that I probably need to go back to training and having the opportunity of doing it again. And then all of a sudden, within two years, I'm here. It's kind of, kind of crazy, yeah. And what was it like coming out of drama school? Because I think that's the, the, the leap of faith, as it were. You get signed and you get an agent or you don't get signed and you've got to start grafting and hustling mm. and people feel that they could have been doing everything right then and there. Well, I guess I was quite lucky because I got my first job whilst I was at drama school. I was doing auditions for different projects and one led to another opportunity. One audition led to another audition and then I got that job and it was just, I just kind of took it and ran with it really. Um, Obviously, you kind of still have those moments of of fear <laughs> where you kind of think, um, is, this, is, is this how to do it? Is this, you know, you want to kind of go back to your teachers. But then yeah, just, you just kind of really have to dig deep and you know, remember the reason why you're doing it. And remember, you've got those tools that they've given you, so you just kind of use them. And how have you managed to stay so focused about those times when you've had to overcome these obstacles and, and challenges, but also not get distracted from from celebrating mm. you know your newfound freedom of coming out of drama school i guess um i didn't <laughs> i kind of did enjoy that fifth newfound freedom of coming out of drama school with my um when i could and i think that's really important at first maybe before i was kind of 
really too much engrossed in the the acting world. And I think that's kind of what got me kind of lost in myself. Um, I think what I've been kind of trying to do a little bit more now is get, you know, look after my family, be with my family more, have that kind of social life where you can actually go around and do things that have nothing to do with acting. <laughs> that's, that's not that, it's not what I love, but I do love acting, but it's really good to have a life outside of it. Um, yeah, basketball, table tennis, all those kind of things are really cool to do. Because it is an intense career and it can mm. be quite lonely at times. I mean, you were saying earlier to me, you'll have months on and months off. Mm. I mean, luckily you've got these creative projects mm. that you can be engaged and you have those passions and skills. But what would you say to people who think that the, the career in the arts is unachievable or unrealistic? And how have you managed to, to, to break those stereotypes? Well, I've kind of just taken my time with it and just really invested in myself. Um, so... People that think it's unrealistic, I'm like, cool, brilliant. That's that's your opinion, but I'm I, like, I've got, I've had, a, I've had three different jobs, well, many different jobs, to continue my my art really. So you kind of go, you know, I've done, I've cooked dog food, yeah, what? I've, yeah, I've cooked and packaged dog food. Wow, what was that like? It was horrendous, <laughs> um, but it paid, it paid well. So that paid for certain classes that I was doing on the side, you know. So those, you know, I've done, I've, I've, I've washed dishes, I've um, been a bar back, bar tender, even when I've been a senior bartender, you know, I've, you've got to just kind of make it work. Whatever opportunity you've got, you just can't, well, especially to make money for you to do your, do your love, you just do it. <laughs> you just, you just, even if you've got a job, even like now, I'm still, still bartending, even though, even though I, I've got a nice little job, you know what I mean. You just kind of got. To, I've still. I'm still in that mentality of just keeping it going, keep it going, keep it going, just keep on, keep on keeping on, really. But it's that commitment to your passion mm. and your drive that yeah. you'll do anything to take those classes and keep honing that craft. Exactly. But that's what the I guess yeah the industry is known for. It's not only being very tough to break into, but also tough to even, well, make a start really with, with audition process. Mm. What was that like? Because that's something that's always put me off. You know, they mm. might be like, oh, your your right eye is bigger <laughs> than your left eye, you know? Um, I guess I've, I've, I've been auditioning for like, since obviously MIT, since we did MIT. So I, I was used to rejection, used to the kind of process. How can you do that? I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's like a, tough skin thing being Nigerian or something I don't know <laughs> I just I just I just I just don't take anyone's opinion to be my thought process or affect me because it's their opinion and everyone can have that have that but you know um, I'm going to give my best version of of myself in this particular role I guess um, I don't know who it was in particular an actor said this um, he said that you know going to an audition like it's a rehearsal since I graduated, I'm just going to audition like it's rehearsal, just enjoy the rehearsal process, you know, talk to them, kind of get through the things that are niggling me and have fun. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's the reason why I do this, to tell stories and have fun. And that's, that's, the, that's another thing that, you know, really got to keep in your mind doing this. Why did you start? Kind of what I've always got in my head, I know why I'm doing it. So there's nothing that's ever got to stop me from doing it. 
No, it's true. I mean, every job interview someone goes to as well, it's the same thing. Mm. It's a learning curve. It yeah, shapes you exactly. and it prepares you for the next one and hopefully that you can you can smash it. Being Nigerian, how diverse do you think the arts is? <laughs> because um, statistics shows from Arts Council England, their diversity report in 2019, uh, BAME actors and workforce, it was... Uh, 11% last year and 12% this year. I mean, that's within 2019. That's 1% change in one yeah. year. Well, there's a lot of amazing creatives that are coming out are being seen more. Because mm. it's not like we've, we haven't been here. We've been here. <laughs> <The whole time laughs> yeah, we've been here the whole time. You're just finally seeing us. Um, especially Roy Alexander Wise doing some amazing directing work. Nine Nights, um, about to do... Um, a lovely project at the National. Um, I think that's the thing, is that we're just being seen and being exposed. I think it's there's a lot of, um, like, further we can go, obviously. Um, especially with, within the realms that I've been working. Certain directors, when you work with are Caucasian or, or of European descent, when you're working on the project, you kind of go, oh, this is a, this, this, or there could be an opportunity here of bringing in someone that was of African descent. But then there's also points where I'm like, oh, this is, this is cool. This is amazing. There's, a, there's an African person, Af- um, Asian person here. Oh, do you know what I mean? When you kind of go, oh, this is, this is fantastic. Some of the projects that I've worked on, I've gone, do you know what? This is very diverse. But then, yeah, that's the thing is that what level is it at? Is always the question. And hopefully in the next five to six, five to ten years, I'm hoping that, that the levels will go up and up. You know, like um, the, the, the diversity will be higher up in the echelons of the this uh, secret world that, we, <laughs> that, that people don't really see because not a lot of people see the producers' names or really look at that kind of stuff. But when I see a um, Baba Tunde or uh, Akimbolo or what, what like, anything like that or even... Oshin or something like that as a as a last name as an executive producer or anything like that that really excites me and when I see a producer that's African descent Asian any kind of um, diversity I'm just like wow that's really exciting even disabled um, the producers that I've, I've worked with I'm just going wow disabled um, directors as well I'm just like amazing do you know what I mean and especially working on projects where you're hearing that they're the fastest director it's like do you know what I mean? These are things that I either think needs to be shown more because it's happening. It's just not seen enough to encourage more, if you know what I mean? Because yeah. if, you, if, if you can't see the progress that's being made, if it's just statistics, you're not going to want to um, sign up, are you? But if, you're, if you actually see the producer, you see the director, you see the, the lightning, lighting guy that's similar skin or similar um, um, from a similar background, you're going to want to do that. And do you think there's enough being done in the audience as well? Is there enough mix of people experiencing your work? Mm, um, I, I, I think definitely. Um, I think there's a lot more um, diversity within audiences, especially when they see someone like me, especially when I, you know, I played a fellow going around um, Midlands. When you see a young fellow, you're going to want to come and watch it, especially if it's the similar, kind of similar age to you, even though I'm not. But if they if they look similar age to you, you're gonna to wanna to come. Do you know what I mean? So I think that's what's kind of happening more is that we're realizing that we need to connect because there has been a bit of a disconnect, and it's happening more and more with social media and technology. But I think we're gonna use we're gonna there's gonna be a nice little revolution when we can use it to connect. 
So what initiatives do you think should be put in place so we can have more communities aware of, of getting into the workforce, but also understanding art as a medium and getting involved, not only going to, to see performances, but also being in performances, whether that's on stage, on screen, you know, in the production side or writing it? I think I think it's just it needs to be within these communities um, that we are seeing the most violence within those communities there's these hugely diverse communities there needs to be projects that show that there's a massive range of this industry there's um directors producers um, dops if people see this and understand what it is i think people gotta they're gonna jump jump into it they don't just need they don't always need to be the actor they can be the the cameraman, the lighting man, the, the if if they can see it, the best boy. No one no one understands what that is. But if you understand what it is, it um you it is you're gonna want to go for it, especially if you're you know having hard times and understand this is a career that could take you for the rest of your life. Mm. Um, that's what I think it needs to be. There needs to be um initiatives that bring people in to the workforce. Um, even if it's like a apprenticeship scheme for the arts, I think that 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 needs to be be put in place. I'm sure there is a few, but just within the communities that need it the most, because I don't think it's this really reaching these 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 cats like, like myself. Um, it kind of seems that there's initiatives out there that are not being funded, um, and stuff like Generation Arts um, seems to be kind of being left. Uh, at the the back of the, the, the funding queue. And um, that was a project that helped me, uh, well, especially when they were part of the National Youth Theatre, got me into drama school, basically. Gave me the opportunities to work with people, like-minded people like myself, um, and, and who were from my area. And and that's the thing, you've got to go into the areas that, that need it the most. She works with Islington, um, and I moved, lived in that area at, particular t- at a particular time. And I think that's where you can do the most work with diversity if it's in the most challenging areas. Especially with diversity, I think that there's definitely a lot, because obviously from my area, I can only think and talk about what I've been through and how, how, how I've found the help that i found. But there there are a lot of, you know, Asian actors, East Asian and, 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 and otherwise, where they need to be seen as well. Do you know what I mean? That, that Yellow Earth Academy, they do amazing work. Those initiatives need to be funded as well so they can expand. Because that's, that's the only thing I feel like there's, there are things out there, but they're just not being funded enough. It's like they're giving like the little morsels, you know, and it's like, please, sir, can I have some more? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And then they're like, oh, I've, I've contributed just a little bit. We've yeah, done our bit. Know. And then we'll have all the, this, all these things that cause every year exactly. and we get loads of funding. Yeah, I completely understand that. Um, so what advice would you give to yourself 10 years ago or anyone who's listening who wants to make it in, in the creative arts world? Um, study, really study your craft. Look to the books. Look to your icons. Remember why you're doing it and stay focused, really. And just have fun, you know. Look after your family. Remember that it's not the be-all and end-all. If someone doesn't like you, it's not. that's fine. <laughs> it's okay. Eventually they might. <laughs> I think that's the real important. Always have a pure heart and, and, and run around with happiness. Um, if you harbour feeling negative feelings about certain people or certain situations, it will affect your work. And that's just how we are as people. It's going to affect your work. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, no, that's really good advice because it does, it does really affect your everyday. And what can we see from you in the future? I mean, you're, yeah. you're working with BBC One at the moment. Yeah, so Nine yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, Saturday nights, BBC One, casually, around 9pm. 9, 9 um, look out for the Dr. Mason Reed. There you have it. The man who cooked and packaged dog food is now on BBC One. Catch Victor at 9pm on Casualty. Just goes to show, if you work hard and believe in your dreams, it can take you anywhere. Thanks for listening to my eighth episode of Let's Go Kick Ass today. To my fabulous guests, Tally Corinne, Justine Lehmann and Victor Oshin. Feel free to subscribe, comment, rate and share with all your friends. I'm Vicky Carter. Thanks for listening and keep kicking ass. Hold up. 